is here. pull each other apart or to, there we go, or to get to a point where we, uh, you know, we put our selfishness above everybody else. That's our nature. So the only way that we can have that unity is through Christ. Christ changes us. We don't change ourselves. So when we left off this morning in verse eight, it talked about how he was obedient even to the point of dying on a cross. And I told everybody this morning that even if they didn't come back today, or tonight, I should say today. He got off. He got off the cross. He wasn't wasn't left on there. That should be something that gives us gives us power. Um, Paul laid out there exactly who Christ was this morning in, in his in his message there in his, in his letter. He told us that God was fully man. He told us that Jesus was fully God. That Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Creator. He was the Maker. Jesus was everything we needed. So we needed that unity to be strong. Strong church can move forward and a weak one can't. And in today's society, if we're not strong, we're going to get run over. There's so many things going on in today's society that are meant to pull our church apart, that are pulling at the seams. The world is only going to change when we unite and we move in one direction. So let's go ahead and let's jump in here into uh, the rest of the, the verses here that we're going to follow today. We're going to be in 9, 10, and 11 in Philippians 2, if you'd like to turn there. Um, I'll go ahead and read it for you guys. It says, For this reason God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We learn this morning of obedience. We learn that Christ was the absolute perfect example of obedience. He followed his obedience of the Father even to the point of death. And he died on that cross. But we see right there in verse 9, we've got the good news. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's sitting at the right hand of God because he raised from the dead. That should give us hope. He's the only one to permanently raise from the dead. You can tell, you can point to examples of the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. But he raised Lazarus from the dead to a a point in life where Lazarus was going to die again. Christ was eternally raised from the dead. So we've got him off the cross, right? His death wasn't the end. It wasn't a failed journey. He had conquered death. That point of dying on the cross was simply the turning point. Now we can call it the end and then a new story, but I like to think of it as the climax of a story because it's the point where the Satan thought he'd won for just a moment. And then he was wrong, obviously. So Christ raises and he goes to heaven. He sits at the right hand of Father. He ascends there. But he's coming back. So we have to look at that as the middle point of the story and not the end. So let's look at this. It says, for this reason. Okay, what reason? 
It's important to understand here that the wording of this does not mean that because Jesus died, God exalted him. Okay? This was not an earned thing. Just like we don't earn salvation, Christ didn't earn being exalted. He didn't earn being placed at the right hand of the Father. The Father gave it to him. Like he offers you and gives you eternal life if you believe in his Son. Okay? By believing his Son, you don't earn it. He's giving it to you and just telling you that's the path. He was exalted by the Father. God the Father is initiating this gift. He is, he is exalting the Son here. It is not something that was earned. And I kind of thought this was cool. I actually read this this afternoon and had to add this in here. Because it doesn't sound like it ought to be there. But highly exalted in the Greek means this. Super eminently exalted. And I thought it was kind of cool that back in the Greek they still had the word super. I mean, that sounds like something we were running about 20 or 30 years ago. But we look at this. Look at at Ephesians 4.10. It says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul writes here that God gave him the name that is above every name. But he doesn't tell us what that name is in this verse. There's a reason for that. Paul wasn't trying to focus on the name. What he was trying to focus on is what he wrote there. He wanted us to understand that God gave him a name that was above all names. It doesn't matter what the name was. What matters is that it's a name above all names. What matters is that he is placed above everybody else. He got to a point that... Is just something that is hard to fathom. It's hard to comprehend that our king would come down and suffer like he suffered, died like he did, and then be exalted to where he was. At the moment that Christ was exalted, this began the moment where people acknowledged Jesus as God of creation. If you look in the Old Testament, there's times where you you see the phrase like the son of man or like the son of a God. And you see those different verses in here, but there's nothing in the Old Testament that that treats Jesus like what happens from this point forward. Because from this point forward, we know that he, after he is exalted, is now looked upon by all of creation as Lord. He's no longer looked upon or looked down upon as the slave he was when he came down in his human form. He's no longer looked upon as just the carpenter or just the, the person that did some good deeds. He's acknowledged by all creation as Lord. John MacArthur states that nothing could match the scorn and shame that man placed on Jesus during his incarnation as a man. But... God in these verses exalts Jesus in a way that is unmatched. Nobody else is exalted to this spot. Nobody else has this honor and blessing of being exalted to where he's been exalted. We read in Hebrews 12 too, that it was because of joy that Jesus endured the cross. Despising the shame, he has sat down at the right hand of God. And as we stated this morning, it's unity in the church is truly key for the believers can only happen when we focus on 
Christ, when we focus on the risen Savior that's sitting at the right hand of God. That is the only thing that will give us unity. That is the only thing that will move us forward. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This isn't the authority that the President of the United States had. This isn't the, pre- this isn't the authority that a mayor or a governor or even the, the director of the United Nations have. This is an authority that is outside of the realm of this world. This is a godly authority. The highest authority. He says all authority, and he means all. This is the kind of power that says he is the final judge. And what he says is law. It would only be Jesus that has the ability in the last days to take the scroll from the Father's hand. Jesus is the only one that has the power and the authority to take that and bring forth what's going to happen. Him and Him alone. It's Jesus who we learn in John 5.27 who was given the authority to execute judgment because He was the Son of Man. And it states in Hebrews 1.4 that Jesus had become much better than even the angels... And thus inherited a more excellent name. Romans 14.9 tells us, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And that's what we're going to get into in the next verse. This isn't just a Jesus that rules over thus us that are here in this room. This isn't a Jesus that's going to rule over the church down the street or the church in Marion. He's not just the Jesus that that rules over the lost that are here on earth. This is the Jesus that rules over everybody. The dead, the living. The dead in Christ and the living in Christ. He rules over them all. So as we go farther in here and we get into verse 10, 10, not Tim, it says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Every knee. Every single knee, not just believers. Paul doesn't say this lightly. For whether by force or by choice, every knee will bow in the name of Jesus. Isaiah 45, 22, 23, 700 years prior to the time of Christ, Isaiah prophesied that this would happen, showing another of the many prophecies that Christ fulfilled. But we see three groups in this verse that are going to bow and submit to Christ. First of all, it says, all those who are in heaven. This includes the angels, the saints, redeemed believers. Those in heaven. Those who have been worshiping God for ages upon ages upon ages. They will continue to worship Him. Those on the earth. And here's the good news for the believer. You're just going to continue to do what you're already doing. You're going to continue to worship God. You're going to bow. You're going to get to see Jesus face to face. But if you are following in his path and you're a true, genuine believer, you're going to get to keep on doing what you're doing. But there's a downside to this. Not for us. There's judgment and retribution to be handed out for those that didn't believe. These are the ones that will be forced to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. These are the ones 
that lost out on their opportunity. And then it goes on and says, all those under the earth, the fallen angels, the unbelievers, those who are awaiting eternal judgment, will be forced to bow and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And this will be out of fear, not out of love. There's a difference there. And maybe if we take that and we examine it a little bit, we can, we can understand that. That if someone's sitting at a church, and you remember the big fire and brimstone sermons that they used to throw out, and get people riled up and get them thinking, get them so scared of hell that they'll run to heaven. Jesus doesn't want you to come to him out of fear. We're called to fear the Lord, but it's not a fear of, of being scared. It's a fear of being in awe of his awesome power. Jesus wants a relationship with us. He wants us to love him like he loves us. That's where we want to be. Revelation 20, 11 through 13 spells it out pretty good. I want you to hear this. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Christ is the judge. Don't want you to run scared. This is that, that, that phrase there is not for me to tell you and scare you into coming up here to the altar at any point. This is reality. This is going to happen. It's not a story. It's not a myth. It's not some metaphor that's made up there to scare you into running from one point to the other. God's spelling it out. And he's crying for you to come running into his loving arms. So that you can have eternal life. We see here the first part of verse 11 is as well where it talks about every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This means regardless of religion, of race, of language, all people will acknowledge and confess that Jesus is Lord. Not that Jesus was a carpenter, not that Jesus was a prophet. Not that he was a good man. That Jesus is Lord. No longer again, as I said before, will he be seen as a servant, but as the Lord, as the one true king who died and rose again. The word that's here that says confess means an open public confession or declaration. And the Bible is very clear on this part. And it states in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But there will come a point in time when there will be no more chances. And what we just read here will be that time when Christ comes back and stands on the earth and every knee bows in his presence. It will no longer be enough to just simply acknowledge that he is Lord because it's already going to happen. You're going to do it anyways. I said this morning when we were talking about in the invitation, we talked about if you hear that voice inside of you, 
And most of the time, it's not some big roaring voice, though sometimes it is. Normally, it's a whisper or a tug. If you hear him tugging at your heart and telling you to come home, don't ignore the voice. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed 20 minutes from now. So when God tugs on your heart, I beg you, I implore you, please listen. So as I said this morning, why did he do it? Why did Christ come here and be obedient to God and follow that path? And I'm willing to bet if you went out on the street and you asked most people, why did Jesus die? The answer you would get was he died for our sins, which isn't a lie. It's not false at all. He did. He obeyed. He came. He died. And because of his death and resurrection, we get forgiveness of sins. But Jesus came here. It wasn't to defeat sin. It wasn't to defeat the devil, though those are byproducts. The main underlying theme and all that is accomplished is to bring glory to God the Father. To bring glory to to God. God exalted Jesus to a name above all names. God sent his son here to die for us. So that the greatest glory that can be given to anybody can be given to God. Think about this. How different would our world be today if we truly understood that? That no matter what's happening in your life, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a triumph, whether God's blessed you or whether you feel like you're going through a time where God has allowed things to happen, what if we looked at all of those situations and asked God, how can I give you the glory in this situation? What would the world think when it looked like the walls are coming down on the church and the church is out there singing in the parking lot praising God? I personally think that the world would look at the church and see a genuine church that is in love and trusts the Savior that they worship. I don't think they'd see the church that they often too, we often hear about that's bickering with each other like we learned this morning. That's why this is here at the end. Because if we can do this, if we can trust in this Christ, if we can give glory to the Father because of what Christ did for us, and we can focus on that as a church and as the body of Christ, we will be unified in a way that Satan has no chance to destroy. Amen. Though he wants to. I'm going to wrap up. I told you this tonight's be a whole lot shorter than this morning's. I want you to do this. I want you to place all that you've heard today from this morning's unity to tonight. And let's put it in order. And let's see what we can do to get the church to truly function, to grow, and to be what Christ intended it to be. Let's pull together in a way we've never pulled together. Let's put everything aside. Dave was talking about back to school Sunday here in a couple weeks. What a perfect opportunity for everybody to come together and not complain about what somebody else on the other side is doing, to not complain about how long it is, about how it was done or how it was organized. Just go and serve God in whatever spot you come and then serve Him.
What if we went to work? And this one hits me hard. What if we went to work and instead of complaining about the people we work with or about the drive we've got to work, we praised God because he gave us a job? And what if we came together on Sundays and worshipped together as a unified church without in the background our thoughts running or raging about the problems or issues we have with the person three rows over? I need to work on this. I'm sure there's others out there that do too. To understand what it means to be 100% absolutely perfectly obedient, we need to look to Christ. Don't look up here on the altar. Don't look at the pastors on Sunday morning because they're sinful people just like you. God has placed them in a position to lead you and guide you, but they'll be the first to admit to you that doesn't mean they're perfect. We didn't go through a process that just does away with all of the problems and struggles and trials in our life before we get the opportunity to be here. We know we can follow God. We can gain encouragement, hope, because He is Lord, because He is the Father who has raised Christ to a position above all names. He has placed Him in a position where there will come a day when no one can doubt and everyone will acknowledge that He is God. And everybody sitting here tonight has got one foot a step ahead of everybody else if you already trust in him because you're already acknowledging that he's God. So I'm going to ask Dave to come back up here and we're going to start doing the invitation here early. But I don't want anyone to be on the wrong end when that day comes. I don't want anybody to be in that position that when the king above all kings comes back down on his horse and steps foot on the earth that they're running for a cover that doesn't exist. Jesus came the first time as a humble servant and carpenter, obedient to the point of death. When he comes back, it will not be as subtle. He will not, he will not be born in a manger. He'll come running in on his horse from heaven when the trumpets sound. And by then it'll be too late. What you've heard tonight, I hope that maybe if there's a person out there that doesn't know Christ, that you're aching to know who he is. Because I promise you, he'll change your life. He won't fix your problems, though he can. He won't keep all the trouble from happening to you as you go through life. But he'll be there with you when you go through it. <clears throat> If there's somebody here maybe that's a believer and they're going through some struggles and they're just not sure how they're going to get through it, come up here and we'll pray together. And we'll pray for God to step into that issue and pull you through it. Like I said this morning, this isn't about joining a church. This is about knowing Jesus Christ. This is about starting a relationship with the creator of the universe. Your Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you feel him tugging at your heart, don't ignore it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us here tonight, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. We, follow, we thank you and praise you, Father, 
for exalting your son to the position that he was in. We thank you, Father, for sending him here, and we thank you for his obedience. We thank you for him dying for us, Father. Father God, we ask that if we're struggling, if we're going through a rough time, Father, be with us, pull us through it, Father, as we know that you are God and you are powerful enough to do this. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters out there, Father, that may not know you. And Father, I pray that you continue to tug on their heart, Father. Don't give up them, Father, and pull them closer to you so that they can understand your glory. Father God, as we go from here tonight, Father, may we go out with a boldness, with a unity. And may everybody we come in contact with, Father, may we confess to them that you are Lord. And Father, I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.